loss helps us define our lives. By allowing our grief to matter, we discover our own strengths and embrace our authentic selves. Welcome to Good Grief with your host, Cheryl Jones. Get ready to be inspired to create a deeper life to make your time on Earth much more meaningful. Now, here is Cheryl Jones. Hello, I'm your host, Cheryl Jones, and I want to welcome you to Good Grief, where we talk each week about the transformations that can come from loss. Today, I'm welcoming Autumn Toel Jackson. Autumn's lived a life of love and loss filled with happiness and marked by tragedy. Labels are too simple, but they do have meaning and they do tell part of her story. Wife, widow, mother, survivor, the loss of a husband, a beloved cousin and mentor, her daughter and miscarriages have left scars on her soul and memorial tattoos on her body. But Autumn learned to grow through it all. She found love and reasons to get up each day until those days strung into weeks, then months, then years. Autumn wrote boldly into the darkness, living with loss, growing with grief, and holding on to happiness to share her story. And she also created www.growingwithgrief.com with her family to provide those who are grieving with a place to find community, resources, and help. Welcome, Autumn. Hi, Cheryl. Thank you very much. It's great to be here. It's really good to have you, and I appreciate your book. Thank you for sharing it with me. Um, and, you know, we'll, we'll dive into many parts of it in this hour we have together. But the thing that comes to my mind to begin with is just, um, I've had very few guests who've had, only just a few have had a lot of very significant losses over a short period of time, um, which is staggering and a particular experience. And so I, I want to start by just saying that's, um, I've had lo many losses in my, in my life, but not very, very close together in general. So um, I acknowledge that as a particular experience that, that's um, got its own impact. Thank you. It's, uh, I feel like I had a lot of losses that just kind of followed one another back to back and learning how to live with those was a bit of a struggle at first. And I, I, I have to start with kind of just us talking about the, the nature of those losses because they are quite huge, beginning with a few miscarriages. That was sort of the start of, of you experiencing loss in your life in general. It sounds as if you hadn't had a whole lot of loss before that. Yeah. As a kid, I lost two grandparents and a great-grandmother. Um, but I really hadn't experienced much grief. So in 2013, when my husband and I were trying for our second child, um, we had our first miscarriage and we thought, okay, well, they say this is pretty normal and it's just what it is. Nobody talks about it. Apparently people don't have any issues with it. It's just us and next time we'll be fine. And then later that year, we had our second miscarriage and this time of twins. So we miscarried three babies total within the span of about seven months. Mm. Um, and I was really caught off guard. I hadn't 
realized the connection I'd feel with these babies at such an early stage, but I, I didn't really know what to do with it. I had a lot of insomnia. I had a lot of feelings that I couldn't put into words at all. And also your, um, this first really deep experience of loss and grief happened in a context where I think <laughs> we're not great at grief in this, in this culture anyway, but to me, um, pregnancy loss is sort of a, a hidden grief often in just the way you're describing that, you know, you're not, you're thinking you're not supposed to be feeling such a depth. And yet I know people who had miscarriages decades ago that still talk about those, uh, those experiences with a lot of feeling, you know, it's a big, a big, big thing to happen. It is. And I think part of the issue with it is it's very personal. It's really an abstract loss to a lot of people, except for the parents. They're the ones who really feel it the most. And it's hard for other people to understand it, especially if they haven't gone through it. But one of the other things I realized after the second miscarriage, I started talking about it a little bit more. And so many people had had miscarriages and I didn't even know mm. they kept it quiet. They didn't want to talk about it for whatever reason. Um, but it makes it really hard to find support when you feel like you're all alone. There's sort of almost a conspiracy of silence there, isn't there? <laughs> there makes is. It, that makes it, um, I have the, the strong belief that there are parts of grief that we do alone, but that we can't do all of it without community, without other people. And so that's sort of cut off if you can't, find people that you feel safe to talk with about it. Exactly. And so once I did find some people to talk to about it, even though the conversations were pretty small, just knowing that other people had experienced it helped me immensely. I can imagine. And so then you did subsequently have a second child. Um, we did. Did, you, did you experience a lot of anxiety during that? Pregnancy, uh, you know, did it, did these losses kind of carry into that, um, that pregnancy for you? Or did it sort of feel like now we're, we're now we're okay, or maybe no. a combination? <laughs> <laughs> um, absolutely. It carried over our first pregnancy with our first son had no issues, no complications. And with our second full-term pregnancy, the whole time, every time we'd go in for a test or an ultrasound or he wouldn't move for a while, the worst case scenario would come into my mind. And so I really struggled the whole time and had to take it very much just day by day. Okay. Today we're good today at this appointment, mm -hmm. everything's good. Because if I didn't, I'd overwhelm myself with so much worry about what could go wrong because I knew what could go wrong. And also there's, I, I know, cause I had a, um, three and a half year old uh, or two and a half year old when my wife died you have to keep going for that little kid too so it, it adds a um you know you had a small child yeah. at, that, at that point as well so that adds a, a kind of commitment to doing okay yeah possible exactly and and so then once he was born i could 
uh, imagine myself into your experience enough to think, phew, you know, everything's great. Yeah. <laughs> Is that what, what you felt when he was finally born and healthy and all that? Yeah, it was. He was born. It was an easy pregnancy, really. There were no complications with delivery. And we made it through. We made it through. Nothing else is going to go wrong. And so it was. It was a huge relief. And very short-lived. Yeah. Um, it's about you know, two weeks. I, these, I, I have these... Um, once you've had a loss, it's hard to be unguarded, but there are mo moments where I think we feel unguarded again. And then if a loss comes into that, it's so crippling. It's so, um, do you want to talk some about what happened when your second son was two weeks old? Yeah. When he was two weeks old, my husband who had been trying to get in shape, so he'd been doing a lot of basketball and jogging, and I knew he was going to do that on this Thursday evening. And he went to basketball and he went out for his jog right after he got home. And at about 1030 at night, I realized he should have been home a while ago. And at 1045, he still wasn't home. And when I went to go find him after making sure the kids were okay, because he was just jogging on our road. Um, I found him unresponsive on the side of the road. And so uh, I did CPR with some of the neighbors that were able to come out and help and an ambulance came and they were, they weren't able to revive him. So my husband passed away when our youngest son was two weeks old and he was 30. And that's so out of the blue because healthy, you know, um, even yeah. trying to be more healthy, um, so shocking and traumatic. So there's the loss and there's also the trauma of it. The, um, the picture you paint of, you know, that moment, uh, I could really feel how shocking it really was. Yeah. It, I went through a lot of it doing what I knew I needed to do. He needed CPR. Somebody needed to call an ambulance, but so much of it, I didn't feel like it was me. I was going through the motions, but inside I was just in a complete panic. Isn't that curious how we can do both at once, be in a complete panic and do what we have to do at the same time. It is. And it's, I know people say like out of body experiences, but it, it almost was, because when I look back at that time, I don't, I don't look at it from like my perspective where I was performing CPR on him. I see it almost from somebody else watching it happen. And so I feel when I look back at that time, it seems like I was very divided. Mm. And then you have to kind of leave room for both of those in trying to process through it, I imagine. Yeah. And not really having experienced much grief, we'd had the miscarriages, which was a very strong grief, but it was a very different type of grief. And so just trying to navigate, what do I do now? How do I survive this was, was a hard question for me. Especially, uh, 
you know, I think um, I don't agree with the idea that there's no difference between sudden loss and uh, loss after a long illness, at least for me. Uh, the long illness did give me a chance to kind of gear my mind to what was going to happen. Uh, maybe, maybe if people keep trying not to think about that, <laughs> then it's similar. But for me, I really grappled with things during that time. And you were just caught completely unprepared for the idea of losing him, your, your biggest champion and supporter. Yeah, absolutely. And going back to that relief after our youngest son was born, I mean, we only had two weeks in that period, but that whole time we felt like everything was perfect and we had this long life planned in front of us and all of a sudden that was gone at 30 and that's not how it's supposed to work. Not how we think of it, that's for sure. Uh, I'd love for you to sh to share a bit of the book because we're talking about and we will talk about the losses that happened after your husband's death, but we're talking about a string of losses that um, can really level people at times. But I think your book is a very hopeful book. And um, there's, a, there's a part right in the beginning, the first couple of pages, that I think captures that, the way that you can continue to see your life is blessed, even though you've had really major losses in it as well. Could you share some of that? Yeah. Even with all the trauma and death, my life has been blessed. It was often hard to see that blessedness though. It was hard to see the good when my world was suddenly and repeatedly thrust into darkness. I struggled to breathe and survive, even when I knew I wanted something more than the struggle, more than the grief I'd carry with me. Through my story, I began to grasp at rays of light that would break through small pieces of hope that let me rebuild myself into something strong enough to withstand the weight of this new life. Over time, I learned that with each new grief, I'd shatter and then find a way to survive, whether I wanted to or not. I learned that I had choices, and I've chosen to do more than live. I learned that while the darkness brought sobs of anguish and never-ending tears, it also held healing and rebirth. I learned to live with my losses, I found ways to grow from the grief that I carry. Most importantly, I learned to grab hope wherever I could find it and hold on tight because sometimes the hope that things will get better was all I had. The, those we lose are more than the loss. They are love, laughter, and happiness. That should be their legacy. Their death shouldn't define them. Our loved ones are more than that one point in time. I like how you define hope there, not as this particular thing will happen, but when things are darkest, I know they'll get better. <laughs> yeah. I feel that's a very realistic because things don't stay the same, you know, so it's, it's actually based in reality, the hope that, that there will be um, a better day. Uh, and I, I'm, uh, I tell people I'm a realistic optimist. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I can't. I can't do pre pretend hope. <laughs> yeah, so that seems like a real grounded hope to me. Yeah, I think it's not necessarily knowing or believing that bad things won't happen. It's just knowing that good things will also happen. 
and that you maybe maybe you also have developed a greater sense of confidence that you can um, navigate bad things happening. There, there's a certain kind of hope that comes from that too, I think. I think there is knowing you can survive those hard things um, really gives you that confidence to know that no matter what else comes, you'll figure out how to deal with it. You know, I think that must be a, a, a bit of a basic aspect of your personality in the sense that you opened up to new love pretty quickly. And uh, I'd like to start talking about that. And then we, we have a break coming up in a couple of minutes. I'm sure we won't, uh, we'll want to come back to it after the break. But um, I know that you you got involved with your, um, how do you put it, your, your second life's husband? Uh, <laughs> yeah, I call him my now husband. <laughs> <laughs> the love of your second life. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, you know, that pretty soon, pretty, pretty, um, not too far into your grief. Um, I, I really, I think people t need to hear both that that isn't, it wasn't for you uh, uh, an attempt to escape grief at all. Um, grief went on and that also happened, which seems to me quite a hopeful move to, to make. Uh, to risk again, if you will. Yeah, pretty soon after my first husband had died, after Joe had died, um, I was really struggling to find support for people who even understood grief. And a coworker came in, to, well, he'd, he'd been in my life because he was a coworker, but he made the offer that if I needed somebody to talk to, he'd be available. He had lost his father a number of years prior and had really done some hard grief with that process. And he told me he always silenced his phone at night. So at the three o'clock in the morning, I could send him a message and it would be fine. I later learned that um, after he told me that he stopped silencing his phone. So I was always... <laughs> <laughs> the <I> secret! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But I was always surprised when he happened to be awake at three o'clock in the morning when I would message him. But he became my grief person, the person where I didn't have to wear a mask. I didn't feel like I needed to be strong. And I didn't feel like I was being judged if I would laugh or show happiness. And so he became that person where I could really just be me in all the ugliness or the beautiful parts or whatever it was in that second that I was feeling. And after... It was about five months after Joe had passed away that we actually started dating and it completely caught me off guard. Yeah, I was, I was telling you before we went on that, that even when I uh, started dat dating my now wife, wife about a year and a half after my, my, um, the wife of my first life died, um, uh, it, it was very, uh, surprising to me and and kind of took me aback but even more than that the people who cared about me were thrown off and when we get back from the break i want to talk about that how how community and family handle um you know new relationship after a loss like that because i found other people were still 
they they resisted the idea that I might be with someone else. I want to know if that's your your experience too. So let's talk about that when we get back. And listeners, you can find links to my website, social media, the Good Grief page at Voice America. And you can find there's a link to a an online therapy service called BetterHelp that I think well of. Uh, and to find Autumn Towell Jackson, go to www.growingwithgrief.com. Be back soon. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. What sets apart voiceamerica.tv from the other video content providers on the Internet? Choice and flexibility means that you can host your video content live or on demand on the main voiceamerica.tv channels through your own branded media player or your own private TV channel. We support multiple media formats, so all of your video content can be in one place. We offer a number of advertising and video packages. For more information, visit voiceamerica.tv. If you think you've seen online TV like this before, let us surprise you. Be sure to like the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel on Facebook. You'll find great health tips from the experts. Find out more about your favorite shows and talk back to our team. Search Voice America Health or click the like button under the player today. This is Good Grief host Cheryl Jones. Whether you're in grief, crisis, deep loss, or transition, working with the right therapist can move you forward like nothing else. That's why I'm happy to be sponsoring BetterHelp. Their user-friendly platform connects you with a therapist uniquely suited to support you. If you want to know more, follow the link on my host page or go to betterhelp.com slash goodgrief. That's betterhelp.com slash goodgrief and receive a 10% discount for the first month. Listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1 866 472 5792. That's 1 866 472 5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back. I'm your host, Cheryl Jones. And I've been talking with Autumn Toel Jackson about her book, Boldly into the Darkness, Living with Loss, Growing with Grief, and Holding on to Happiness. Um, your your uh, excerpt in the last segment had a lot to say about that. So we, as we went out for the break, we were talking about the experience of um, falling in love again, getting involved again after losing a spouse and uh, the way that other people respond to it and the way we ourselves respond to it. (laughs) I had a little more um, time in, uh, you know, before I got reinvolved, which I think for me helped um, to feel... um, to feel I could handle it, I guess, is mostly what I want to say. Um, and it was still felt very risky at first. Mm-hmm. Um, because I once you know what can happen, right? Yeah, exactly. 
uh, you're not walking in blind. And I wonder how, how that was for you inside and how your surrounding community and family um, responded to you having a new person in your life. Yeah, after talking with Kyle and really becoming friends with him, when I first started developing feelings, part of me was really worried that I was just trying to replace Joe. I was trying to find somebody to fill that gap that he left. And it took a lot of soul searching to come to the conclusion that I wasn't trying to replace Joe because there's no replacement. He was everything he should have been. And any replacement would be a, a poor substitute. But I also couldn't ignore that I was having feelings and Kyle and I had become best friends. And it took a lot for me to realize that I wouldn't have given up any second I had with Joe, even knowing that he would die so young. It was one of those things that was so amazing that I would have done it over and over again. And so I did have that fear. It's like, well, what if something happens to him? Can I survive that? Can the kids survive that? And what it really came down to is there's always room for more love. And Kyle's love didn't take away from my love for Joe. It really just added more love into my life. And Kyle helped me grieve. And so it was an interesting an interesting time when you want to tell your late husband of your new boyfriend. <laughs> And <laughs> I know exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. And, and interestingly, uh, you know, a few other parallels. Uh, my my wife and I, who I'm married to now, now for 22 years, uh, our very first conversation, um, one of the biggest aspects of that conversation, we were strangers, right, mm -hmm. um, was loss. She had lost her father four months before my wife died. And there is something, it sort of scrapes away everything out. You know, if you have that in common with someone, you're at a pretty deep level, kind of from the start. Yeah. Uh, you know, you're kind of starting in the, in the basement. <laughs> in <Yeah>. a way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you start with the the hardest stuff first, and then the you learn to get some first. of the other stuff. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And and um, for me anyway, I I had sort of felt before I met her that it was a bit of a of a litmus test. Like anyone who can't handle that, I never broke up with my first wife, right? Yeah. <laughs> anyone who can't in some way include that person, well, they're not for me. You know, yeah. <laughs> it just won't work. Um, but that also means uh, someone willing to have a depth of relationship that involves hard stuff. Yeah. And with the community stuff, it was really difficult because living in a small rural area, there's everybody knows everybody's business, basically. And so I was really worried about what people would think. I was worried people would think I didn't love Joe because how could I get over him so quickly? Mm. Um and it took a lot for me to realize that that's not how grief works. I'm not going to get over him and I'm not replacing him. And if people don't understand that and they judge me for that, then like you said, I don't really need them in my life. Mm. And unfortunately I did lose a few friends. There were a few people who 
were fine with me starting to date. But once I started to date Kyle, they expected me to be back to normal, back to the person I was before Joe had died. Mm. And that's not really how it works either. No, people have to kind of keep up, right? Yeah. yeah. (laughs) If they can't keep up, hmm, it doesn't work too well. The other thing that I I feel in common with you is having, and this is so notable in your case. So my wife insisted that I would love again, uh, but we had a lot of time where she came to the conclusion she wanted that for me. You know, she Mm -hmm. processed it. But you also got a similar message when actually Joe had no idea that he was going to die. And that really struck me as I was reading about, um, you know, him having, because that sense of permission is a big deal. It, uh, it, re- it is, absolutely. And basically in those two weeks that we had right after our youngest son had been born, Joe was taking care of a ton of stuff and I was recovering from delivery. And so I just, I remember going up to him and I said, I don't know what I'd do without you. And normally he'd give some flippant joke response. And this time he looked at me and he made sure I was paying attention. He said, you would be just fine. You would find someone else who would love you and take care of the boys. And you would be fine. And I don't know where that came from. I don't know if on some subconscious level he knew something was up, but it was a huge gift to me to have that permission from him. I I have to hold back actually in my own life from saying things like that to people because they don't always want to hear it. <laughs> you know, yeah. say it once and that's that. But yeah, but it is such a gift, isn't it? to feel um, you've been given permission for your life. Uh, And of course, it's especially important with a partner. But I think in general, um, when you lose someone knowing that they want, they want the best for you, they want you to have your grief and move forward. It's just invaluable. It was, and both gave me the freedom I needed to really agree to date Kyle, but it also gave me the freedom in my grief to find happiness. I didn't feel like I was abandoning him or disrespecting him by laughing or enjoying something, even though he wasn't there. And so it, it made a big difference in how I was able to process my grief, I think. And then moving forward, um, into that marriage because you did marry Kyle yep. uh, and he is fathering your, your children, uh, your yep. boys. Um, talk some about Riley. Yeah. So Kyle and I were married in 2017 and we decided to have another child dad to our family. And so in July of 2018, we added a little girl to the two boys and her name was Riley Marie. And she was the easiest baby, the happiest baby, full of of life and curious about everything. And her brothers doted on her. They would give her all of their favorite toys, whether she could play with them or look at them or do anything with them or not. And it it was a really amazing time. And so 
I think for that summer of 2018, I was happier than I ever thought would be possible after Joe had died. And we're really trying to embrace that time as a family. And I'm, I'm glad we did because in no, the end of October, um, Riley got sick and we had thought it was just a cold and what got us a little more worried is she was starting to get dehydrated. She wasn't drinking very well. So we went into the hospital and they wanted to get an IV in her, but because her little arms were just so chubby and her veins were a little bit small, they weren't able to get an IV in. And at this point she was three and a half months. So they admitted us to the hospital and we did a nasogastric tube where we could basically put fluid through her nose, down her esophagus, into her stomach. And we did that for every 15 minutes. Kyle and I took two or three hour shifts at a time throughout the night. And she seemed to be doing better in the morning, but they were a little bit worried and they wanted to test her for meningitis. And when the doctor had us leave the room to do that test, we hadn't even made it all the way out to the waiting room. And we heard a code blue called for her, for her room. It's, you know, there's something just so, uh, I mean, maybe the, the, the losses I can't imagine are the ones I have not had, <laughs> you know, Yeah. but I find it so unimaginable, unimaginable, even though you described it so beautifully and completely, um, just so staggering especially having such a healthy baby as you as you had and um having come through so much grief um it's overwhelming yeah i remember right after we heard the code blue page a nurse came to grab us and i remember following her and running through the lobby of the hospital and thinking this cannot be happening again uh Unfortunately, it was, and the doctor had been right there. They hadn't even started the procedure on her. They had just rolled her onto her side when she coded, and they worked on her for 40 minutes. And at that point, the doctors were coming over to us and saying they would keep working on her until we told them to stop. And we were trying to figure out how do you how do you make that decision? How do you tell? It's a tough one to be left with, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it is. And while we were trying to figure out how to tell them to stop trying to save our daughter's life, um, they were able to get a heartbeat. And so they were able to get her stabilized. And we went, we were life flighted to the nearest hospital that had a pediatric intensive care unit. And she was eventually stabilized there. And we kind of had a bit of a roller coaster of maybe she'll come through this maybe she won't. And eventually uh, it was de decided or declared that she was in fact brain dead. And so um, we knew we wouldn't be able to bring her home at that point. I would love if you could, before we go to our second break, if you could share um, the the part of your book about that last time with Riley? Yeah, so 
with Riley, we were able to donate her organs. And so we had some time before her with her before they did that. Kyle and I spent the last 30 minutes before the scheduled surgery alone with Riley. The nurses arranged the room so we could sit in a chair and hold her one last time. I felt her warm little body in my arms and told her how much we loved her, how we always would, and how she was perfect and everything to us. As Kyle sat in the chair and held Riley, he looked down at her and said, you'll have a dad in heaven. Joe will take care of you and love you up there. You won't be alone. Those few words spoken with love and tears held more meaning to me than anything else I'd ever heard. Of course, Joe would take care of Riley as if she were his own, just as Kyle had become a dad to Cody and Wade. I found comfort in that thought. Before that moment, I had felt like I was abandoning Riley. Even though she was going to heaven, the idea of her being alone without a parent to love her the way every baby deserves was hard for me to face. Being a Christian, maybe I should have felt that the love of God and Jesus would be enough, but it wasn't. I wanted Riley to have more, and I hated that I couldn't give it to her. So when Kyle said that Joe would be with her, tears of relief filled my eyes. I pictured Joe holding Riley against his chest as he and my cousin Brittany looked down at her. They would take care of her. Heaven was already full of people who loved Riley. That's so um, moving in several different ways. We we did um, we didn't talk about the loss of your cousin, but of course that was a very major loss as well. Mm-hmm. And um, I, of course, having that thought, having that idea of her being loved and cared for by people that you deeply trusted. Um, is very moving but also what's moving is Kyle saying that spontaneously I I found that very moving as well that he really incorporates the idea of everyone in this world and everyone who has died as being a part of his family yeah and I think family and love know no bounds and so we try to embrace it as much as we can. And that statement, when you said that, I think really showed it. Absolutely. It's time for our second break. And uh, all you people out there, you can go look at my website, weatheringrief.com. There's links to my novel there, if you're interested in a notion between them. And to, to get in touch with Autumn, you can go to growingwithgrief.com. Be back soon. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Healthcare has been a major part of news stories today with one thing that has been consistent, inconsistency. Both healthcare providers and patients have to work around and get used to a constantly changing set of rules and issues. Nurses have historically been left out of this decision-making. Listen to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, exploring the world of nursing with host Leanne Meyer. Health professionals, we invite you to share your ideas and experiences while listening to experts in various areas of nursing. Listen Mondays at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Health and Wellness. Over 20 million people in America struggle with substance use. This impacts both the people who are using and loved ones who are trying to help. Still, there is hope. 
Tune in to the Beyond Addiction Show with host Josh King. You'll hear from experts and get the real information you need to understand and assist in change. Change can be hard. It doesn't have to be confusing. Tune in every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time and 1 p.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Health & Wellness. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back to Good Grief. I've been talking with Autumn Toel Jackson about her book, Boldly Into the Darkness. And um, right before the break, uh, we we came to, I guess we could say, the most recent huge loss in your life, the, the loss of your daughter. And I was very aware, having had um, a young child, I also had a teenager, but I had a young child when my wife died. And uh, navigating grief, with little kids is its own thing. And I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about, uh, you know, you mentioned your your sons were just in love with your daughter and um, it, it she integrated all of you too, in a way, yes? Yes. Everyone she... had the same love in common. <laughs> yep, exactly. And the same experience. And so I wonder how it was for you as a family, especially in terms of your kids, to um, walk through that. Yeah, the kids were one of the hardest things because seeing your kids in pain is just horrible. And they knew Riley was sick. And they knew when we had to go to the other town that she was really sick. And we made the decision to let them stay with Joe's brother and his wife and continue with the routine as much as possible. They were six and three at the time. And so they're still pretty young and we didn't want to scare them. Um, and we don't know. We still, I still don't know if that was the right choice, but that seemed like the best choice for them because if something bad did happen to her, we also didn't want them to have those memories of her in the hospital. We wanted them to have the memories of her playing with them at home. And so after she went into surgery for organ donation and we came back, we knew we hadn't told them because we wanted to tell them in person that she had died. But driving to that time, driving to where we would see them again and have to tell them there's just no preparing for it. And Mm -hmm. the first thing they asked when they walked in the door was, where's Riley? How is she? And we had to tell them right away and we gathered them into our laps and all sat together on a couch. And when we told them that she had died, I don't know how long we spent on that couch, just all of us wrapped together, crying. Mm. And it, nothing can prepare you for that. 
dealing with your own grief can be very difficult, but seeing your child grieve and not being able to take away that pain was a whole nother aspect. I, I really, though, want to say that the choice to be, to be in it together like that is a huge service to them in terms of how they navigate that through their lives. You know, I can't remember a time when I have lots of adults come to me for grief counseling about childhood losses. I can't remember a time when anyone told me a story like that. The story I hear is nobody talked about them after that, you know, all yeah. kinds of, of ways that grief was bypassed. And there's this kind of filmy, cloudy um, space where the person should be, I guess is the way. Yeah. I, um, and so even though it's painful, being in that together just seems very beautiful to me. I think it was the only thing we knew how, but I think at that point, this was about three and a half years after I'd lost Joe. And so I had that time to learn how I grieve and Kyle had time to learn how he grieved with the death of his father. And we were able to talk about it while we were still in the hospital with Riley on life support. We were able to talk about how we grieve. This is what we know we're going to do. We might try to pull apart we might get angry. There's going to be frustrations. And we talked about that. And I think we were able to really bring that knowledge and that experience into how we dealt with the kids and trying to make it an open and safe place for them to grieve and cry. And if they want to talk about her, we talk about her and they'll still bring her up. And just the other day, our youngest son said, it makes him really sad that Riley never got to have a Christmas. And so then we got to talk about that conversation and ask what he would have gotten her. I think we're, we're kind of talking in a way about the fact that relationships don't stop because somebody died, yeah. you know? So having the freedom to talk about that person is a way the relationship continues. Would you share from the book, uh, the section that starts grief has changed me? Because sure. it, it really speaks to how you've kind of come through through all these many losses in a short span of time, clearly, and found your way to this new place, which then you have to give your kids, for instance, and your relationship. Sure. Grief has changed me. It has stripped me of my innocence and my delusions that awful things only happen to other people. And as hard as it is to admit, grief has also changed me for the better. I know now that I can survive. I'm more resilient. And while I may not always want to survive the unimaginable, I can. There's a power in knowing this, even though it's mixed with sadness. I can survive if something happens to, Kyle's, to Kyle or the boys. I'll survive the loss of others I love. Yes, I'm strong, but there's a sadness in no longer saying I couldn't survive without you or I don't know what I'd do without you, because I do know I would find a way to survive. And I would embrace all those moments that define life and memories. Yes, I will shatter, but I will heal with each loss and another colored lacquer holding me together. I don't know how my story will end, though I have no doubt that I'll continue to love. 
I'm equally sure that I'll continue to lose the people I love. No one is safe from death, and grief is a darkness that will settle on everyone who risks their heart by loving. What I do know is my story will be one of a full and happy life that I choose despite the sadness that can grip it. I'll continue to have days where I'll struggle to live with the weight of my loss, and I'll rely on the light of Cody, Kyle, Wade, and others who love me to pull me through the darkness. And I'll continue to grow under the weight of the grief I'll always carry with me. I still have so much to learn about myself, my grief, and living my life. And I'll strive to continue learning about it until my last breath. And most importantly, I'll hold on to hope. You know, that, that um, of course, captures a lot about how I look at things. <laughs> so I appreciate hearing it in other in other words, from someone else's, uh, in someone else's voice, the idea that, um, or the truth that um, we, we incorporate loss into our relationships, into going forward. And it, it doesn't, there's more sadness, but possibly a deeper joy as well. Do you I think, agree? I do. I I think I appreciate what I didn't know I could lose so easily way more now than I ever did. And just taking the time, spending the time with kids or seeing them excited for something or taking the time to just sit and be with Kyle are things that I don't know that I gave enough attention to with Joe. And now that I've had these losses every moment, it's a lot easier to see those moments as gifts and to mark them down on how blessed I am in my life. It's had horrible things happen in a pretty short time frame, but I have had an amazing life with amazing people that love me. And I don't know that you could really ask for more than that. It seems to be the rules. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that we don't actually get to know what losses we might we might navigate and and what what will happen as a result for instance um you and kyle because you both experienced loss because you knew yourselves in loss immediately had a conversation about not coming apart which of course for parents who lose a child that is a real risk it is and we had that conversation we brought up that exact point that parents who lose child children often end up losing each other and end up in divorce. And we made a promise that we wouldn't grieve alone. There would be no crying in the shower and trying to hide it from the other person because that, the only, the only way through it is together. And that can be really, um, you know, hard to navigate in the sense that I'll, I'll use an example from my life. Uh, my mother-in-law died a few years ago with whom I was extremely close. I adored her and my wife adored her as well. So we had a mutual loss, different, obviously, mm -hmm. but yeah. mutual. But where we were at a given moment about it, you know, it, we, we live in a relationship where grief is welcomed and we're open and everything. But if I was in a space to cry and she was in a space to watch a movie, you know, there can be a lot to kind of um, navigate between, between people, 
not because anyone's doing anything wrong, but just timing, for instance. So having that commitment, we are going to go through this together. And we are also going to have other resources. It sounds as if you have a very loving community as well. Yeah. That that seems very um, bedrock on on how you've been going through it and why you've written a book this quickly, you know, that that you have a supportive um, space in which to welcome whatever your grief is. Yeah. And it took me a little while to find it after Joe, but once I did find that support in the community and even on the larger scale community of other people who had been widowed or who had kids who had been widowed or who had lost kids, um, those larger support groups really provided me a lot of the encouragement I needed to take the step to put my pretty much a lot of the big parts of my life out there. And, um, in the hopes that it'll help people, even though I tend to be a more private person. So it was a bit of a stretch for me, but I, I just want to be able to share my story because as we talked about earlier with the miscarriages, so often people, they just, they don't talk about their grief as much. And so I wanted to talk about it and give people an opportunity to hear somebody else's story and maybe get some hope from, from it as well. I'm thinking about um, the dividing line on when, when I used to go to parties, (laughs) it's it's COVID time right now. I'm not going to any of those, but when I did, uh, and even now with zoom gatherings and stuff, I, I really can't do chit chat. I don't think I was ever that good at it. And then having losses has made me very bad at it. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, I'm the I... blessing at the party for the person who's, you know, uncomfortable with chit chat, wants to have a, a, a deep conversation, but I'm not always that welcome by people who, who want to keep it light. Yeah. <laughs> I imagine you have that experience somewhat too. I do. And it's funny because in those chit chat conversations, they'll say something and I'll say, oh, my husband used to do that. They'll go, oh, Kyle, no, Joe. (laughs) And if they don't know the story, it gets very confusing to them very quickly. Right. Because people don't tend to talk, for instance, about someone they've divorced from. Yeah. They'll they'll tend to say my kid's father or something. Yeah. Yes. That sense of of ongoing relationship where you don't actually want to sever your awareness of him and getting comfortable with other people's discomfort with that. Um, That's a whole other subject for another hour sometimes. It is, definitely. (laughs) But but, uh, I guess you and I would agree we're going to be that person at the party that uh, (laughs) makes people uncomfortable sometimes, but the right person will appreciate it, huh? Yeah, definitely. It's funny how it works out that way, but yeah, yeah, for sure. And um, I appreciate that you're offering your gifts out in the world because there's room for um, as many of us as, as want to do it. You know, if you're called to talk to people about grief, by all means do it because there's plenty of people who don't have that capacity. So thank you so much for being here today. I've enjoyed our conversation. I have to. Thank you so much for letting me join you on here. Absolutely. 
Uh, Again, you can find Autumn Toel Jackson by going to www.growingwithgrief.com. This has been Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. I look forward to being with you again next week for another meaningful conversation. Thank you so much for joining us for Good Grief. Please come back next Wednesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time for another edition featuring your host, Cheryl Jones, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a meaningful week. Abre mi corazón.